Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Rhea. Welcome to Karma's My Bitch, a podcast about love, sex, connection, abundance, joy, purpose, peace, and how life isn't simply the stories we tell ourselves. I remember hearing about Ellen, probably the first recording we did when you were kind of talking a little bit about how you started working Mm. and I remember just going oh my god I need to meet this lady it sounds so cool (laughs) and then finally I am and it's all very exciting as I might have mentioned in previous episodes I ran into a bit of trouble when I was about 17 anyway so I had this I met this man through the library where I worked and his name is Ron Miller and I worked with him for a couple of years and then I sort of just hit another step and I said I need to really figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life I mean, loaded question, and he can he can only take me so far. And he said, I think you need to meet Ellen. So sure enough, I called her up. And the next time I was in San Diego, I looked up Ellen, and I had my very first soul memory session with her. And I remember when we were sit when I was sitting across from her in her office, I remember thinking, I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to do what she's doing. And I just knew it, just like that. But then I thought, I'm going to do it later in life, though, you know, after my real job and career, (laughs) which, of course, never really panned out the real job and career bit. I ended up learning the craft as soon as I could, as soon as it was available to learn in the 10 day course. And the rest is history. So. Ed and I was wondering whether you might tell us a little bit about you. Sure, absolutely. So I think the, the bottom line is that I'm a classically trained psychiatric social worker from Liz's alma mater, the University of Chicago. And my whole life, since I was a very little girl, I just wanted to be a good therapist. And I pushed my way all the way through school as quickly as I possibly could and so that I could get to this goal. And I love doing psychotherapy and I love being a social worker. And every good therapist is always looking for ways to be more helpful, more effective with their clients. They've done a ton of research and they've shown that there is no correlation between successful therapy and anything that they can put their finger on. It doesn't matter the modality, it doesn't matter the length of the therapy, it doesn't matter the frequency of the visits, it doesn't matter the steps that are taken, it doesn't matter how much the client and the therapist want the client to feel better, nothing matters. The only thing that they can vaguely put their finger on is that there's something in good therapy that happens of almost an alchemical or magical nature between the therapist and the client. So every therapist is always looking for the magic bullet. I really felt like I would do anything that it would take for my clients to feel better. Way back, I think in 1990, my soon-to-be husband ran across a little tiny article on New Year's Eve at the very last page on the very bottom corner of the page that advertised a series of workshops here in San Diego. And the inviting in line was, do you ever feel like you're not from here? 
you know, I'm a very classically trained professional. And I thought that was sort of a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> <laughs> but Wayne was very excited about it. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like more like Wayne's alley. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he is a classically trained rabbi, a professor at the university. You know, he's a very rational, sane person. Yeah. And but he was really excited about this. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, that's like crazy. <laughs> so we went <laughs> and found like a hundred people in this auditorium. I sunk way down in my seat so no one would see me, <laughs> you know, recognize me. This woman came on and she was just charming and adorable. And she started talking and I you know, the chatter in my head was, oh my God, this is ridiculous. You know, get me out of here. How soon can we leave? You know, where can we eat afterwards? She's talking about things like past lives and souls. And it's like, oh my God, give me a break. So <laughs> at the very end, yeah, at the very end, she drew a name out of a hat that apparently had gone around before we got there. And this woman came up as a demonstrator. The woman said, I'm a journalist and I haven't written anything in weeks and I'm about to lose my job. Ronnie very quickly did the work and found a previous lifetime in which this woman had also been a writer and the writings had been burned and she kept writing and then she was burned at the stake. Ronnie very quickly went through the process, did the work to clear it. The next week, we came early to see if we could find this woman and find out what happened. And we were amazed. She said, it was instantly gone and I'm back to writing and I feel great. At that point, I decided I'd better start listening. Wow. So then Wayne decided he wanted a session and we watched this thing that had been affecting him for about 25 years, just eliminate from his life. And we've never seen it again. I got really, really sick when I was about 16 and was left with a bunch of retroviruses that were slowly killing me. At that time, all my doctors had told me that I probably only had maybe three or four or five years left and I better go live out in the desert in a bubble. I was just allergic to everything and not just allergic, but like anaphylactic shock allergic. So when the most recent blood work came back and they said, you know, this is really hopeless and we have no idea what to do, <laughs> Wayne said, why don't you go see Ronnie? So I went and sat with her and it was, again, a very powerful and intense three hours or so. But, you know, for me, it sort of felt like, like when you go to an astrologer and it's entertaining and it's fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I don't retain anything of the information. Mm -hmm. It was just sort of a, an entertaining way to spend an afternoon. Mm -hmm. So six months later, I went in for my every six month blood work. And it was really funny because the doctor looked at, she opened the file and she looked at it and then she called her nurse back in and said, I think you have the wrong blood work here mm -hmm. because every one of my blood numbers was now in the normal range, except for one number, which was one point outside normal. Wow. At that point, I decided I really needed to learn this process because clearly it took care of not only emotional things, but 
perhaps even physical things, I, I was just stunned and amazed hmm. at the results. Several years later, I left my day job and decided that this would be the only work I would do. And I've been doing this then since then mm. and started teaching other people to do it in 1997. It never ceases to amaze me. Mm -hmm. Every session I learn something new. It's just exhilarating and wonderful to see the joy that clients experience when their lives change. It doesn't replace regular long-term therapy, which can be like a reparenting experience and a re-educational experience, mm -hmm. but it's tremendously helpful for getting people very quickly over big hurdles. But it would be so interesting to hear from you how you would describe soul memory discovery. You know, our bodies hold memories of everything that's ever happened to us in this lifetime, right? At the very least, those memories are stored in the brain, but very often those memories are stored in various organs and muscle groupings in our bodies. Anything that we didn't have the opportunity to fully process emotionally in the moment is stored somewhere in our bodies so that at some point we can get back to it and really do it right and finally then let go of it. Our language carries that for us. We talk about shouldering a burden or our heart breaking or not being able to stomach something, being cut off at the knees, or right? All those yeah. phrases that so eloquently express how our bodies carry experiences for us. Everything in this world, on this earth plane, has an electromagnetic field. And of course, we know now that those electromagnetic fields can be seen and measured and charted and all that kind of stuff. And the electromagnetic field in a human being is called an aura. And so just as our bodies hold memories of everything that's ever happened to us in this lifetime, so our auras, our electromagnetic fields, hold memories of everything that's ever happened to our souls. And if we think of the soul as being that eternal part of us that will go on long after we're done with these bodies, then we can imagine that the soul was probably doing something before it came into this body in this lifetime. When we balance in a particular way that you know from Liz, and we make sacred space, we are able then to access all those memory banks, the memory banks in the body and the memory banks in the field. And what's wonderful about that is that it means then that we can find the origins of any issue or any complex of symptoms, because it all started somewhere. And if we can find those origins, which we can in soul memory discovery within about 30 seconds. Oh my gosh. See you, Liz. Yeah, we can go back to those, to those origins and use a very, a series of very beautiful sacred processes to lift those origins out of the systems. 
And once those origins are no longer sourcing the symptoms, the symptoms disappear, go away. And it's basically that simple. Wow. You know, we, um, before we come into this body, we and the divine sit together and design like a divine design, a basic outline for this lifetime based on how we want to grow and what we want to learn and how we want to evolve in this particular incarnation. And so long as we stick pretty close to that divine design path, we're in alignment and we feel great and our lives work and they happen and it unfolds as it needs to, as it should. And it's very wonderful and we feel fulfilled and satisfied. But every now and then, as we're walking that divine design path, we hit a place in the path and decide for whatever reason that we're not going to continue and we veer mm -hmm. off the path. And the further yes. we veer off the path, the more painful it becomes because we're not connected, we're not aligned with the divine intention. We're actually very wise. As we veer away, we leave breadcrumbs on that path <laughs> that enable us, like Hansel and Gretel, to find our way back. And those breadcrumbs are our symptoms. So the further we veer away, the more symptoms we develop. And if we can then follow those breadcrumbs back, we can find our way back to the path. And that's what soul memory discovery enables us to do. It enables us to go to the origins, to the place on the path where we decided we better leave it, mm. attend to whatever made us decide to leave it, and restore us to that place so that we can continue on in a more fulfilled and satisfied way. Mm. Soul Memory Discovery uses the power of language to affect change. And so the words are sacred words, it's sacred languaging, similar to what is used in a church or a, a synagogue or a mosque service, right? Where we use the power of language to open particular spaces that we don't normally have access to, shift the energy and close that space and integrate it into our beings so that when we walk out, we carry the changes with us. What would you say is probably the biggest change or development in the soul memory work over the past 20 years that you've been practicing 20 plus? Because well, before, I mean, the book used to be so thick, right? I mean, <laughs> it was huge. Everything sessions did take a long time. And I think one of, for me, one of the most remarkable changes is how much faster everything goes. The sessions tend to be shorter. People are moving through things. That's what I would say also, Liz. Mm. You know, the soul memory discovery work works with the Earth's energy and the field of human consciousness. And so as human beings become more conscious, the work becomes lighter, easier, faster, we don't have to work so hard to make changes. I always think that at some point we'll just, we'll be able to throw away all of our books and just hold an intention and that will be it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it will take one second instead of three hours. <laughs> oh, so, that would be so cool. Yeah, and we'll all put ourselves out of business, which is yeah. the goal. 
And it always shows up at moments of tremendous transition in our earth plane. And so clearly we are in such a time of transformation. <laughs> right Total now. understatement. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, in 1994, the cosmic times started coming through. The cosmic times is a channeled writing that comes out once a month. In those days, it came out, I think, once every two months. And then things started snowballing and it needed to come out every month. The byline is spiritual news you can use. It's about what's happening energetically in our world and how we can best uh, dance with the changes that are occurring. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's very, very helpful and people have found it tremendously helpful. Like people say it saves their sanity, mm -hmm. you know, from month to month since um, 1994, a long time. When you're hearing about this collective experience, is it something that you're also experiencing or is it something that you feel that you're kind of watching? It's a combination. I'm aware of what people are experiencing mm. and feeling, mm. but it comes through as an awareness, not as an acting out or mm. a feeling that I don't know where it's coming from. Is that something you believe you've learned or that was inherent? It was inherent. It's, it's been that way. So you can't yeah. just teach me. We have ways to make a little bit more distance or ask that information about what's going on in the world or other people comes to you in different ways rather than, you know, through your body sensations. And, and sometimes those help, but it's just how we're designed mm -hmm. and how we've designed ourselves mm -hmm. to be in accordance with our divine design goals can't deny that that everything's changing but i know that you liz a lot of people have been saying this for a while guys get ready <laughs> it's coming <laughs> yes 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 it, it is a massive time it's even more than what we would call an axial age it is the ending of a great spiral of history you know we can hear the word history as his story so we can also call it her story right her story so it's a great ending of this immense spiral it's a very long spiral and all the previous lifetimes that we can remember or have access to are usually somewhere on this spiral since the fall of atlantis to this point so it's immense you can hear that completing that long a spiral of history, history is really huge. And it coincides with the completion of our journey in 3D. And so it is a double enormous completion. And when we complete something, it's necessary to go back and pick up all the unfinished threads so that we can finally really let those stories go you know we can't say and they lived happily ever after so long as there are loose ends yeah. so mm -hmm. that's what we're doing right now eventually we will begin a new spiral of history history and this new spiral is based in a different dimensional awareness what we would call fifth dimension. You know, the question always is then, 
what are these dimensions? And so we can think of a dimension as being like a range of frequency. If you think about a piano and the lower octaves are the great big heavy dark notes, right? And the higher octaves are really light, high, little tinkly notes. And if you were to graph those, the low notes on the piano would have great big hills and valleys. And the, the higher the note, the smaller the hills and valleys. So imagine that there's always light that is flowing. Information is always flowing. When our vibrations are very, very big hills and valleys, a lot of that information goes right through without ever intersecting the hill or the valley, right? That is, we miss all that information. We miss the God breath. And what is the God breath? What is that information? The information, of course, is just one thing. Light is the knowing that every single thing, every person, every being, everything, every moment is simply an expression of the divine. Everything is a manifestation of God. And so when we are operating at a very low frequency, at a very low vibration, the hills and valleys are so big that we miss all of that. We just miss that everything's an expression of the divine. As we grow lighter and our vibration becomes higher, our hills and valleys are closer together and we catch much more of that God breath. We catch much more of God in formation. And so the more we are aware of, the more we can simply be in bliss and know that everything is perfect. Because if God is perfect, and God is everything and everywhere and everyone and every time, then everything must be perfect. Even when it looks awful and like hell, even then, you know, we're in human form. And so we can cry and we can weep and we can shout and we can yell and we can be very disturbed and anxious or heartbroken about something. And at the same time, at the very same time, without being schizophrenic, we can be in joy and bliss and contentment, knowing that this too is an expression of the divine. I know that's a hard concept to hold. It's hard to think about getting there. But Liz, you were asking about what the biggest change is in the soul memory work. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the biggest change is the change that's happened for soul memory discovery practitioners, facilitators. Oh, interesting. Uh Who have sat in the light for decades now and whose vibrations are raised to that level because through the soul memory work they've sloughed off all the density, all the heaviness, so that their vibrations are very, very small, very high, and they're full of God information. So that no matter what goes on on a daily basis, they're fine. You know, I watch the world and I cry a lot and it's heartbreaking and frightening. At the same time, I am 
in bliss all the time because you can see and know and feel and experience the presence of divinity. You know, any tremendous transition, transformation time, it's all about deathing. You know, there can never be a birthing that there hasn't also been a deathing. We're built in such a way that our cells hold within them, the DNA has a survival instinct. And so we're trained, we're taught from the inside out to choose life rather than death. But the reality is that change is the only constant, always, whether we're in an axial age or not. And change automatically holds within it the deathing so that there can be a birthing, mm. right? The one thing that I've been really struggling with when we talk about change and we talk about this kind of stuff is that for me, my experience on a human level has always been with great lessons, with great evolution, it's always been categorized by a lot of pain and a lot of trauma. And I think that that might be why many of us, including myself, are very averse to change because we're scared of not only the actual process of it, but we're also unaware if it's going to be it doesn't feel like maybe we'll be better on the other side because the next change will just be as painful. You know, we've been discussing this a lot about how can we trust or believe that there is, you know, a new world where we won't necessarily have to learn through pain. And I'd just be really curious to know your opinions on all of that, just because we, we talk about it a lot. Numerous, <laughs> numerous episodes. <laughs> it is the subject, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 3D has been characterized by the notion of separation. You know, this belief that I am separate from you and from everybody else. And if I am separate from you and everybody else, then I could very easily hurt you and there wouldn't be any repercussions on me. And we know that that's not true at all. The hallmark of 5D is that oneness consciousness, knowing that we are one not just we human beings, but that there is just one fabric, that there's only the divine, there's only God. And in that oneness then, it's up to me to be the clearest, best, strongest, most vibrant expression of me, the best thread I can possibly be in that weave of oneness. In 3D with separation, we can believe that we're separate enough to stand away from somebody. And if we stand apart from somebody, anything, anyone, then we have the capacity to judge them as either good or bad, or judge an event as either good or bad. And if it's bad, then we suffer, and if it's good, then we celebrate. And so we make a lot of pain for ourselves in 3D. In oneness consciousness, we don't have the capacity to be separate from anyone or anything. Therefore, we can't judge it to be good or bad. And if we are one, then the only thing that's left for us is to be in compassion 
the action of being in equal step with. If I am in equal step with, then whatever you or any event is carrying is immediately lightened. It's magic. It's like the love shines through and transformation occurs. If we can be in compassion, then there is no suffering. The more compassion we show or have or experience, the less pain no. or the lightening of the pain, like as in there will be less pain as we go on, as the years come in 5D. So there is a difference between pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as human beings, we can be in pain and we right. know what that's like. Pain is pain. Okay. But suffering is different. Is it because suffering is powerless? That's right. You know, pain, like anything else, like joy, is simply an emotion. And emotions are that word. They move. They're in motion. And so, as human beings, our goal is to be clear enough that whatever the emotion is moves all the way through us without any resistance. So we feel what we need to feel and we give it its due, we honor it. And even when we think, oh my God, I'll never get through this, this will never be done, it's done. You know, there's an end to it. And it's an amazing thing. So if we give in to whatever it is we're experiencing and really experience it, show up for it in our, in our fullness, in all of our colors, and let it just take us where it needs to take us, it will be complete at some point, yeah. and we will be able to move forward enriched by the new layer of color it's painted us on the inside. If we stand, you know, at the door and say, no, no, you can't come in. My style. There forever <laughs> because it will, it will stand there until it can come in and move through us. So, you know, we might as well be gracious and welcome it. Would you say that that would be one of the most helpful things to do? It's what we've needed to do forever. Yeah. But, you know, we're so afraid to not be in control. The reality is, of course, we have no control anyway, ever, over anything. <laughs> the only thing we have any control over is our own heart. You know, the only question that is really up to us is how well will we love? That's it. That's I all, that. that. all mm. that's up to us. How much can I open my heart? How far can I crack my heart open and love? It's the only thing that's up to us. We only have control over our own hearts. After that, we have no control. Thank you for listening. For more information, articles, and inspiration, find us at karmasmybitch.com and at karmasmybitch.insta. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. 